Welcome to our podcast for college Catholics. I'm Father Patrick Wainwright. Two episodes ago, we spoke about how our faith centers around the belief in the existence of only one God. I personally think that this is one of the most important truths that are questioned during our college years. And that's not because you are a bad person or something, but typically it is the time where one starts to think for himself. You start to think for yourself, and for some reason or other, uh, you start doubting some of the faith or some of the truths that were taught to you uh, about your faith or even things that you believed. We start to question them, and we have, in a sense, we try to, be- to think for ourselves. And I think it is important to search the truth about things, to find what the truth is. It is important to find our own convictions and find reasons to believe in the faith we believe. I think the most important thing is to find the truth that God has revealed, right? So what it is that God revealed to the world and to be firmly established in that truth. And that is why I want to share with you what the church has always taught in this matter, in this topic of God as a creator of heaven and earth. Some episodes ago, we discussed several of God's attributes or qualities and the fact that he created everything that there is. We also discussed how he not only created the world at the beginning, but also continues to maintain all that exists in its being. And therefore, he is a good and provident father. He's a good God who is attentive to our needs and as a good father provides what we need for our salvation. So in today's episode, we will go a little deeper in this first article. We will consider the creation of the angels and the devil, the creation of man, and the fall of Adam and Eve, especially maybe the last thing we're going to, the last topic we're going to talk about uh, next episode about the fall of Adam and Eve. So first of all, uh, before we enter into all this, I want to thank you, all of you who listen faithfully to this podcast, because thanks to you, we have reached 2,500 downloads, and that is a lot for me. Knowing that you're interested in learning your faith through these episodes is definitely encouragement to me, and I ask you to continue listening. And more importantly, if you're able, to make sure you encourage others to listen as well. There is nothing more effective than the personal witness, the personal invitation to help others get closer to Christ. If everyone promotes the faith or, let's say, encourages others personally to know the faith, that is the most effective way to bring the faith into the world and bring souls to God. So, in the first article we say of the faith, we say that God is the creator of heaven and earth. The Nicene Creed specifies a bit more and says he is the creator of all things visible and invisible. Now, that expression basically means that God created everything that there is, and therefore everything else apart from God himself everything that has a physical reality, everything that has a spiritual being, is created by God. And there's a council of the Catholic Church that uh, stated this very clearly, the Fourth Lateran Council, that is uh, convened at St. John Lateran in Rome. And that uh, council took place in 1215, and it affirmed that God, from the beginning of time, made at once, out of nothing both order of creatures, the spiritual and the corporeal, that is the angelical and the earthly. And then the human creature, 
who, as it were, shares in both orders, being composed as being composed of spirit and body. So we say that God created the physical world. When the church teaches that the world was created by God, it does not tell us how he did it. So how exactly did God create the world? We are not told by the church. That's not part of the revelation. But we are told, and that's the main point of this truth of faith, is that everything that exists, has existed or will exist, owes its being to God. We're not told in what specific way God did this, and that's okay. He might have allowed that process to develop in different ways. You might have some doubts as to how to understand the first chapters of the book of Genesis, where it says that the world was created in seven days. However, the Catholic Church has pretty consistently taught throughout history, that, and beginning with St. Augustine, that the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis should not be read in a literal sense. So if there were to be a properly proving scientific explanation in the future of the exact way our universe came to be, even if it is not in seven days, that will not imply a denial of our faith. It would not contradict the fact that the world was and is created by God. The church teaches us what or whatever who is the ultimate main cause for the existence of the world, or the main reason why the world exists, and that is God. And it teaches us that the purpose of the world and the meaning of the world is the glory of God. And also the church teaches us what is the purpose of man, to know, love, and serve God. In that, may, in that same sense, we say that God is who creates man. Man is not the product of a blind force. He's not the product of random forces that happen to fortuitously come together and produce the human being by chance. If that were the case, man would have no purpose or meaning or any dignity at all because God would not be behind the production of man, if you want, the creation of man. It would be just something random, and therefore there is no rational being behind it, no purpose in creating man. And that purpose is what it was it's that purpose is what gives dignity and meaning to the human being. If you remove God, if you remove any rational cause in the product in the creation of man, if it's simply a random force that created man, then man loses its purpose, would not have a purpose, and would lose, therefore, its dignity. So, the church, on the contrary, teaches that God is who, through the different forces in nature, created man to be in the image and likeness of God. God created the human race, as the book of Genesis says, in Genesis 1.27. God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created the first man and the first woman with a specific human nature. And from that first man and the first woman, all the rest of the human race descended. As Pope Pius XII stated in his encyclical Humanigenitis, the human race did not descend from different first fathers, so to speak, who appeared simultaneously, supposedly, in different places of the world, but on the contrary, God 
this made the human race descend from one man and one woman, from Adam and Eve. This is important because that will explain how original sin extended to all men and not only to a section of the human race. God also created and creates the spiritual soul, which did not exist before its creation and uh, an infusion in the human being. Each soul is unique for each person. It will exist forever because it is spiritual and immortal. God actually creates a new soul each time a human being is conceived. He infuses the soul in that human being at the very moment of conception in the womb of the mother. And that is an amazing mystery, right? God creates a human being, creates a soul in the womb of the mother each time a baby is conceived. And therefore, each one of us is a unique, beloved, intentionally made creature of God. Now, God also, apart from this, apart from the spiritual, uh, the material being and the uh, human being, God also created a universe of spiritual beings that we do not see because they're spiritual. We live in a society, however, that depends more and more on what is visible and sense perceptible, right? What we can touch, we can see, we can smell. And therefore, we think, we tend to think, sorry, that only what is material exists. We forget that there is a whole invisible world both in and around us. This is a great passage in the second book of Kings that talks about angels and how we don't see them and we forget about their influence. And the second book of Kings, chapter 6, verses 10 through 25, which I encourage you to read, but basically what it says is that the king of Syria wanted to attack the king of Israel. But each time he tried, the prophet Elisha would warn the king of Israel so they would escape and the king of Syria could not defeat the king of Israel. So the king of Syria decided that he would kill the prophet Elisha and then attack the king of Israel. So that's a good, uh, let's say, strategy, right? Kill, kill the one who is helping the king of Israel. So he went with his whole army by night and surrounded the city where Elisha lived, the prophet. So in the morning... Elisha's servant woke up and saw all the enemy armies surrounding the city, and he was terrified. He said, he told his master, they're going to kill us all. They're completely surrounded us, and we have no way to escape. So then Elisha told him, and this is a quote from the, the book, second book of Kings, Fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he, may that he may see. And then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. The angels of the, the, angels of the Lord defended and saved Elisha the prophet. So the question is, who or what are the angels? According to God's revelation, the Lord not only created the visible material world, but he also created an entire world of, of purely spiritual beings, that is, incorporeal beings, that have an intelligence and will, 
They are therefore personal beings. They are immortal because they don't have a body that can corrupt. And they surpass in perfection all and any visible material beings. And they're much more perfect than we are human beings. St. Augustine says, St. Augustine of Hippo uh, says that the word angel refers to what they do because the word angel means messenger. In that sense, it doesn't refer to its, their nature, but their, their mission, right? So an angel is a messenger. So in that sense, properly speaking, we should call angels all those purely spiritual beings who are sent to give some message to any human being or to help man in the path toward salvation. And there are many other spiritual beings who may not carry a message to the human world, but they still exist and they still adore and contemplate God and they contemplate his face forever. Therefore, there are many types of spiritual beings with different missions, different callings, and these are what we call the choirs of angels. Some of those are the following, the cherubim, the seraphim, the thrones, the dominions as principalities, the powers, and we read about these in the letter to, of St. Paul to the Colossians chapter 1, first, verse 16. And yes, we have then the archangels and the angels. The archangels are those whose mission is of greatest importance. So they're angels, but with a more important mission. That's why they're called archangels. They have a, greatest, a message of greatest importance. From the Sikh scripture and tradition, we know the names of three of those archangels. Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. Saint Michael, whose name, name means who is like unto God, or if you want, it means that no one is great as God, but the name is put in a, like a form of a question, who is, like, who is like God? He appears in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, as a protector of the people of Israel, and he also appears in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 7, as the one who, defended, who defeated Satan's rebellion. And he also appears in the letter of Jude. Saint Gabriel, whose name means God is my strength, appears in the Annunciation of the Blessed, uh, of the Annunciation of the birth of Saint John the Baptist, and also the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary, telling her that she would be the mother of God. Both events are in the Gospel of Saint Luke, chapter one. And finally, Saint Raphael, whose name means Medicine of God, and he appears in the Book of Tobit chapter 3, verse 17, and he's sent to heal the eyes of Tobit. He also defends Sarah from a particular demon, and he leads Tobias safely to Sarah and back. So apart of the archangels, God's angels appear many times in the circus scripture. In the Old Testament, an angel appears to Lot, two of them actually, in Genesis 19, and defend him from the inhabitants of Sodom. So you can read Genesis 19 to more, know more about that. When Abraham is about to sac sacrifice his son Isaac to God, an angel holds his hand and tells him not to do any harm to Isaac. Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. An angel of God. Now in the New Testament, angels also appeared to announce to the shepherd the birth of the Messiah. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. 
They tell St. Joseph to escape to Egypt. They also serve Jesus Christ when he is fasting in the desert and strengthen him during his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, among many other appearances, they announce to the holy women the good news of the resurrection of the Lord at the tomb. So there are many other angels who also have a mission among men to guide, inspire, and protect us on our path to eternal life. In fact, each person, you too, each person has been assigned an angel at the moment of conception to guide you in a particular way. That is our guardian angel to whom we should pray frequently and whom we should listen attentively. We can also count on his help and protection. And therefore, the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us, from infancy to death, human life is surrounded by the angel's watchful care and intercession. As St. Basil wrote, beside each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd, leading him to life. Already here on earth, the Christian life shares by faith in the blessed company of angels and men united to God. So up to there, the Catechism. This is why I recommend that you say that prayer to the guardian angel daily, especially in difficult times, when we're worried or concerned or need inspiration and guidance. Angel of God, my guardian dear, to whom God's love commits me here, ever this day be at my side to rule and guard, to light and guide. Amen. Now, there's a great anecdote in the life of St. John Bosco. Uh, Don Bosco was a Catholic priest born in 1815 and died in 1888, and he lived near Turin, north of Italy. He worked mostly with children, many of whom were orphans, working in the industrial setting of the cities at the mercy of their employers. Don Bosco tried to help them live in a decent way, educating them, showing them the path to heaven. Now, because of this, he uh, also sometimes, uh, these children sometimes, uh, realized that their work uh, conditions were not good and stayed more away from certain labor and so forth. And therefore, many people wanted to get rid of Don Bosco. They were against him. And actually, they attempted against his life. They tried to kill him several times. On one occasion, he was attacked at night in a city street. They kind of covered his head with, uh, with, a, with a bag or with a cloth and were gagging him. Uh, and he, was, he found himself unable to escape. And at that moment, a great dog came to his rescue, routing the attackers. And similar events took place more than once with this big dog coming to the rescue of St. John Bosco. And then he would disappear in the same way that he appeared. He, he would appear suddenly, defend Don Bosco, and then he would disappear. This dog was gray and really big, and therefore from then on, Don Bosco started to call this dog Grigio, that is, the gray one. The dog would appear from nowhere, and after rescuing Don Bosco, he would leave just as he arrived. And he never fed him or anything, he, they didn't know where he lived. So most people agree that this was some kind of visible appearance of Don Bosco's guardian angel. On one occasion, Don Bosco was called by night to attend a dying person at a certain distance from where he was living. As he got ready to leave, 
although uh, his mother, who lived with him, suggested he should not go because the streets were dangerous. As he was la- ready to leave, this dog, Grigio, was in the front door, covering the door, lying on the ground, right? And, uh, uh, impeding anyone from coming out from the house. Uh, so St. John Bosco tried to move him and uh, c- call him to come with him uh, so that he, he could leave the house and go to help this person who was sick, but the dog would not move. Other people tried to move the dog, and the dog would growl uh, so that everybody was afraid, and finally no one could leave the house. Um, so he, uh, Don Bosco eventually had to stay in the house and not go to help that, uh, supposedly, that person who was sick. And then some hours, some hours later, they found out that the request to help the dying person, the dying person, was false, and that it was a, actually a plan to kill Don Bosco. So somehow this dog had figured out that that was false, that they were trying to kill him, and therefore stopped St. John Bosco from going out to the streets. So uh, it is very probable that it was his guardian angel. Uh, At least I perceive that too. Uh, So you should also communicate frequently with your guardian angel and try to be attentive to his inspirations. And you will not be disappointed. The angels, we were saying, are true, true beings. They're pure spirits. And they're God's faithful servants. And many of them have been appointed to help you in this world. Now, there are other spiritual beings of, if you want, angelic nature that also appear in the sacred scriptures, but they are not that nice. And those are the ones we called demons. The leader of which is Satan, also called Lucifer. These demons or devils are also have an angelic nature. So, that is, they were created to be angels. They are just like angels. They were created in God's friendship and grace. They're pure spirits. They're powerful. They're, they have an intellect and a will. They're personal beings. And their goal originally was to love, glorify, and serve their creator and help man in his journey to salvation. But they rebelled against God and disobeyed him. And because their will is so powerful and their decisions are therefore are irrevocable, once they decided to rebel against God, they cannot go back in their evil decision. And because of that, they, become, they became corrupt, completely corrupted and separated from, from God. And in that sense, we say they became evil. Although in their nature, they're still God's creation, and therefore good in their natural being, right? But they became morally evil, if you want. This uh, evil angel, Satan, appears in several places. First, in the book of Genesis, uh, symbolized by the serpent before the fall of Adam and Eve. He also appears when Jesus is tempted in the desert in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We read of three particular temptations that the devil presented to Christ, and he somehow continues to present those temptations to all human beings throughout history, right? Temptations related to gluttony, temptations related to tempting God, and also to a spirit of pride. Pride, if you want, is the most essential uh, sin of Satan, and therefore the greatest temptation that presents to us. 
Jesus also confronts several demons that possessed different people throughout the Gospels, as the case of the man of Gerasa, a possessed man who's, uh, who was possessed by several demons, apparently, or one that was called Legion, because they were many. And we read that in the Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. In the letters, St. Paul speaks about Satan, whom he says can even disguise himself as an angel of light to tempt good people with the appearance of good. And he says this in the letter, second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verses, verse 14. St. Peter also, in his first letter, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he warns us clearly, be sober of spirit, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 through 12, Satan makes war against God. And there he is defeated in the visions, St. John sees how he is defeated by St. Michael, the archangel. So to summarize about Satan or the devil, here are some uh, important facts about the devil. First of all, he's an angel by nature, so he was created by God, and continues to depend on God to exist and to operate. Second, he is not a God, and therefore he cannot overpower God. God is infinite. The devils are not. God is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing. The devils are not. Third, he cannot do, he cannot do any evil to you that God did not allow. If you want, God has the devils on a leash, so to speak. They can only go so far as long as God allows. Fourth point, while the devil can try to tempt you externally and even sometimes through your interior senses, he cannot do much against you if you stay away from him, if you stay at a distance, beyond that leash, if you want. In that sense, you should try your best to avoid every sin, but especially mortal sin. Avoid the occasions of sin. And finally, any close relationship with evil or questionable practices. Practices, even if they look harmless. Uh, I sometimes hear uh, there's many people who play with a Ouija board or they joke about visiting psychics or um, consulting the tarot cards and the like. And all those things are questionable practices that may put you closer to that range within the leash, if you want, of Satan. So I recommend as far as possible from those practices, games, if you want to call them, or activities. Finally, where whenever you have any concerns or fears or temptations, turn to the Blessed Virgin Mary, especially by praying the Hail Mary, turn to St. Michael the Archangel, and to Jesus Christ himself in the Holy Eucharist. Try to live habitually in the state of grace, and you should not fear the evil one. In that sense, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Therese of the Child Jesus, or the Little Flowers, she's called, mentions a dream she had in her house when she was a little child. 
She says this in her autobiography, which is published under the title, The Story of a Soul. She says there that she saw once in her dream two demons in her backyard. She approached them to see what they were up to, and they became really scared and started running around desperately, and they tried to hide. And the more she approached them, the more they tried to run away and were like almost afraid of her. So she explains later in that same autobiography, God made use of this to show me that the soul in the state of grace need never be afraid of the devil, who is such a coward that even the gaze of a child will frighten him away. So never be terrified of the devil, but you should keep your distance from him. Do not come into his reach, right? Into that area within the leash, if you want. You need to stay away from Satan. Saint Michael, the archangel, is a powerful helper because he is the one who defeated Satan in the first place. So always have recourse to him. And in this sense, let us today say together that amazing prayer to him. Saint Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. So, thank you for listening to this episode. Thank you again for these 2,500 downloads. Please continue listening and encouraging others to, sh to listen to this and every episode. Remember to share this episode with your friends to help me get this message out to as many college students as possible. If you want to support this podcast, please do leave a review in Apple Podcasts so that others may be encouraged to listen as well. We'll see you in our next episode. May God bless your day.